How often had I looked in the mirror for the, after the umpteenth rejection and asked, what's wrong with me? No answer ever came. What if the answer never came because there was none? What if I couldn't figure out if I had what it took if I was one of the lucky gifted ones because there were no lucky gifted ones? What if everyone has what it takes? Welcome to Zoo Notable. Uh, t- today we are going to talk to a, a, just a great mentor uh, for me, Bill Knauer. He is the author of several really great books that help us uh, as writers and you know what, even as uh, any kind of profession in our lives, get rid of the self-doubt in our lives. He's the author of Fearless Writing, uh, No One Is Broken, and the book that we're going to discuss today, Everyone Has What It Takes. So enjoy this really incredible interview with Bill Knauer. Everyone has what it takes. But once again, welcome, Bill, to Zoonotable. Thank you for stopping by. And I'm going to let everyone know, this is take two, folks. This is take two. <laughs> and something from this, the book that we're going to discuss, Everyone Has What It Takes, A Writer's Guide to End Self-Doubt. We're going to go right into the jugular. There is no failure, folks. So I'm not even going to call the first take with this. That's right. Uh, a failure. It was a great learning opportunity. That's there you go. You win or learn. There is no losing. There you uh, go. So this is a thank you so much for for coming back. I really, I really excited to have you on because not many people are familiar with this. Uh, my writing listeners will definitely be familiar, but it is National Novel Writing Month, or or NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo is what we we affectionately call it. Uh, this is a a an event, a month long event where writers, novel writers, typically try and get a fifty thousand word novel completed from November first to November thirtieth. And so, if you do the math, it's about 1,667 words per day. It's a so it's a pretty ambitious endeavor so and if if you are practicing that and you're listening you know go for it you've got this or we're going to hopefully have a really good talk where if you're in the middle of a of nano and you're thinking i can't do this we're going to hopefully help you out you know <laughs> yeah. you gotta pick one you gotta you gotta pick a 30 wood. give them an extra day okay so yes it's nanorimo which is which was created to get people out of their heads and stop mm-hmm. overthinking, just put something down. It's not going to be great. I interviewed Morgan Stern. She wrote The Night Circus, which was a big bestseller a bunch of years ago. And she was a sweet woman. And, and Morgan, I think her last name was Morgan Stern. Look it up, people, The Night Circus. <laughs> and that first draft was written in NaNoWriMo. So it is a good way to get something down, get over your fear of just writing mm-hmm. and just plow ahead and i think there's a lot to be said for it i've never done it myself but but it doesn't mean i don't think it should be done if you're drawn to it i have practiced in some kind of iteration of nano like either my interpretation or something like it almost every year i don't say i won't say every year oh, good um, but almost every year so uh this year i am again recommitting to getting my 
getting my book completely finished. So I am working at 50 minutes per day. So it's not 1,000 words. It's 50, five, zero minutes. You can get a lot done in 50 minutes. You can can get a lot done. You can get a lot done. I actually was going to challenge some of my non-writing folks. If you're like, oh, gosh, NaNoWriMo, what's that? Um, I want to use this month to to start or work on your creative, whatever your creative project might be. Uh, It can be, you can set aside, I'm going to work on this for 15 minutes, 30 minutes. You can do like me and do it for 50 minutes. Um, But do do something towards your creative project that you want to do. Maybe it's music. Bill has a gorgeous guitar behind him. (laughs) Thank you. It (laughs) looks more expensive than it is. (laughs) But I'd love it. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so I've been playing that for only two years. But you know what, people, I've been I, I have a background in music, but not the guitar. And so I would do it every day. Maybe just thirty minutes. You know. Yeah. But that's enough to get going. To to and I'm, now I'm writing songs on it. So you know it can be done. It can be done. And then behind me is uh, my husband's artwork. This is this is a testament. He is he does nano every day for the last ten years, like every day for the last ten years. Um, wow. He has been doing thirty minutes of art every single day for the past ten years. That's great. Um, All right, so listen, listen. Now I'm going to get in. You haven't asked me about this, but I'm just going to dive in. So there's a chapter in Everyone Has What It Takes called Getting in the Mood, maybe. And there was a chapter in um, Fearless Writing called Finding Time to Write, and when I started teaching fearless writing, so th- I'm going to say this to your listeners: if they are been wanting to do creative stuff, but they find themselves not doing it, and writing for sure, um, the people who would, when I would teach, begin teaching fearless writing, what would come up a lot for when I would ask, like, what's going on? What do you, what's the hard part of writing? And often would be like, finding time, finding time, finding time. Mm-hmm. So it came up enough that I started having to really think about this because I always found the time to write. But it, for me, it was like, if I didn't write, I, I was going to die. I just thought I was waiting tables. I had to write. But I knew that wasn't maybe the healthiest relationship to it. But I began talking to these people. And what became clear to me was the question was not, how do I find the time? Because everyone can find the time. Everyone can find the time. You can get up half an hour early and you have the time. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's not the issue. The issue is not finding the time. It's whether is writing a waste of time? Is your art a waste of time? Because what, what will come of it? For everyone, the question is like, I only have so much time. And I could be spending with my kids. I could be doing my partner. And for writing, for writing in particular, what when people write, there is that bugaboo of publication hanging out in the future. In, what will this get published? Is where is this going anywhere? And so when they sit down, they're wanting to know: is this a waste of their time or not? And if you think it might be a waste of time, if the fact that you love doing it isn't enough reason to do it, then you will it will cloud the experience and you will find yourself not wanting to do it because you don't want to do something that might be a waste of time. You don't want to do something to prove its value and you don't know where it's going. Mm -hmm. And so as a creative person, particularly writing, you have to make the decision that the experience of doing it's enough. That doesn't mean you don't publish it by any means, but you have to understand that the immediate reward of being able of getting in the zone where writing happens, which is such a great experience. And by the way, I think of a Robert Henri, a great painter. My wife was a great fan of his, and he wrote a book called The Art Spirit. And in it, he said, painting is not about making pictures. It's about getting into the 
I, I'm paraphrasing, frame of mind that allows painting to happen. That's what painting's about. And all art, so it's like the, the result is not the point. It's the frame of mind that allows the result to occur that is the gift to the artist. And so as an artist, if you want to do something creative, it is the zone you enter. And then by and then by and by the other results that we talk about come as well, the mm -hmm. publication and recognition. And all that's nice, but the zone that you go into, that's the reward. And so if you're wanting, if you say, Oh, I'm so lazy, I don't find the time to write, usually you're if you're lazy quote unquote, it's because you have some story about the thing you're doing that's unfriendly. Like mm -hmm. I say, it's a waste of time or I'm not talented enough or I shouldn't bother or I don't know. We all have different reasons why we think doing this thing is is not worthy of our attention or we aren't, or we aren't worthy of doing it maybe even. So look at that. If you enjoy the experience, you have to let that be enough. You have to let that experience of creating be enough and then let all the rest, other questions about it answer on your time. Does that make sense? Yes. This is, that is like the most perfect reason why I love this book so much is that, yeah, you, you're definitely writing to your niche, to your writers. And as a I writer, I totally was into this book. Like, oh my gosh, eating it up. But there Great. was some of that, I said before the uh, there was those instances throughout the book that I was like Bill is talking to other professions as well and yeah again for my for me I am also a zookeeper I saw that parallel almost immediately and it I think it really stems from <laughs> I used to think zookeeping was the hardest field to get into because uh -huh. <laughs> we, we talked about this because yeah. for every one position available, there could be as many as three to 400 applicants. And I and still it, can't believe it. Because it's <laughs> like such a high, highly sought after job. We play with the animals all day. We do not right. play with the no, animals all day. We rake their poop all day. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that's, it's so, it's such a sought after job that, they can have so many applicants and there's so many, there's only so many zoos in right, the right. US. So you kind of get, you do have like a bottleneck approach, but then I became a writer <laughs> and, and, uh, dealing with the rejection. And you talk about this too. Uh, Stephen King has talked about this. So many, so many people make that, that is, those comparisons, the, the rejection is really hard to yeah. get over. Uh, yeah. You know, it's rough. Oh, so here's the thing about rejection that I think is really important. I, so when the writer feels rejection, usually they have rejected themselves first, by which I mean they haven't allowed themselves to write their story the way they actually want. They haven't allowed themselves to write the story the way they want to write it. They haven't said, does this book really satisfy? Is this please me? Is this what I want it to be? They've really, they've usually tried to write it so it will please a reader and it will be considered acceptable by mm -hmm. someone outside of them and and that feeling of not writing the story you most want to write in the way you most want to write it is an act of self-rejection and the weird thing is it it kind of clouds the story i always say that it's like if you wrote the story exactly the way it's supposed to be written and this can apply to anything whether you you you're doing your job in the way you think it should be done. But I'm going to say, talk about writing specifically. It's always like what I think of as a perfect glass of lemonade, just 
perfect blend of sweet and sour. It's cool. It's hot day. Delicious. But every bit of self-doubt, every bit of attempting to please the reader, please the editor, mm -hmm. try to make it marketable or whatever you think it should be other than anything you think it should be that's not what you actually want. Every one of those is like a little drop of white vinegar in that lemonade. You can't see it. You can't really smell it. Then you taste it. You go, eh, eh. And then people go, well, okay, change the middle, maybe rework the beginning. But it it it's just the whole thing sort of infected with you trying to be something you're not. And I know this from my own experience. And as a writer, it is so important to remember that you are always, whether you like, whether you know it or not, or acknowledge it or not, you are trying to please yourself. You are trying to satisfy your own unique aesthetic. aesthetic. And when you're reading books you say i like this book i don't like that book Ooh, i like this movie i don't like that movie i like this painting i like this chair i don't like that. you're always liking and not liking things and then you come to your own work and the same choosing is an operation but it's your own work and sometimes what happens we read stuff that we wrote we wrote and we read it and we don't like it because that's can happen but instead of recognizing that we don't like it, we immediately assume other people won't like it. And we feel we've failed someone outside. Right. Of us. We haven't met some expectation, but it's always our expectation we need to meet. So I think it's really critical for a writer to really understand that when they're writing, they're trying to please themselves. And if they aren't aware of that, and if they don't acknowledge it, and if they don't write towards that own pleasing, they're rejecting themselves and rejection from the outside world is bound to follow. You know, in terms of like romantic rejection, if you think you're not worthy of a person loving you, people will reject you for not even knowing why. You, if you reject yourself, it's very, very hard for other people to accept you. you right. know? And so the and the, so the two things are kind of linked. So it's tough, but I think the pain we feel when people say no is a reflection of the no we've said to ourselves before we submit. Yeah, also, you wrote about it in the book, and I did, I don't think I tabbed it, but you have a um, point about rejection, particularly from publishers that, again, it resonated with me that that wasn't the right publisher. It, that for it, sure, yeah. And, and so, again, let's go to the next level, folks. If you're not the writer, but you are on the zookeeping, and if you get rejected by the zoo even if it was like the, your dream zoo, that's not the right zoo for you at this time. Three to 400 applicants, they can't choose everybody. It's, they, they can't choose everyone even that they like. They can choose one. <laughs> you choose one. And the same thing with the agents here. We were talking about this uh, last time too. Agents get how many, like what, hundreds of of query letters right but so here's the, yes but here's something that's interesting and important to remember with that i once was in a class with michael curtis who used to be the fiction editor for the atlantic monthly and the atlantic monthly used to publish one short story a month and they and it was a big deal get published in the atlantic so only one short story and he knew he could make people's careers so he published one a month 12 issues a year and he got twelve thousand. Uh, short stories a year. And everyone, and he said, whoa. He said, you got to understand, 10,000 of them shouldn't have ever been sent to me. Mm -hmm. 10,000 of them were just a draft written by somebody who's never written a story before. And when you really came down to it, 
there were maybe 150 short stories that were really worthy of his true consideration. And a lot of the ones he rejected, he saw published elsewhere or in anthologies. So he is true. He could only publish so many, but that number was mis got misleading. Yeah. Yeah. Weren't just because you send something in doesn't mean you're actually ready to be considered. Doesn't yeah. mean you're, you know, agents will frequently they'll say, okay, I represent romance and I represent suspense, and then someone sends them a science fiction. Right. And they get rejected. They're putting their statistics, but they should never have sent to them. You know, or they sent them a first draft, or they they like they really hadn't mm -hmm. written it out. I will say this: I was just thinking about this story when I was I used to write poetry, and I wrote a poem called Cigarettes. I used to smoke a long time ago. And I was really writing a poem about the mindset, it was kind of the addictive mindset that leads to smoking, mm -hmm. you know, kind of what what I'm a, what the, what the fear around it was. But I liked it. It had a nice bounce to it. But I sent it off to this literary magazine, and some editor wrote back with rejection, with commentary, saying, <laughs> "We write poems about life. This is about death. Cigarettes are about death. No, thank you." And I thought. This poem's not about death. I don't know what he's talking about, but it was so it was so clear to me that the rejection had nothing to do with the quality of the work, per se, but his belief about the subject matter. So it pissed him off. He was <laughs> turned off by it. So it was not it had nothing to do with the work in a weird way. I I, I understood for the first time as a very young man how people's personalities and preferences actually it's not like the editors who I would submit to weren't these sort of godlike figures who all could weigh and measure the value of work. They just had their own preferences and tastes, and that's what you were dealing with. And it was a great example of it, I thought, because he it was just he didn't like poems about cigarettes. Fine. But it hadn't said nothing actually about the work. It was just his preference. So it's hard to take it personally. I'm glad that they that they at least told you that. But there's also the essence of like, even if you don't get a reply even if you don't get a why you got rejected sure. still learn from it you can still be like okay that didn't that didn't work right there there is no failure remember <laughs> we win our no failure there's only learning there's only <laughs> right. learning there's only learning <laughs> it's true yourself. it's true you will fail you can't fail folks you can either win or you can learn that's that's right i like it's true that's from my book i think I, th I think it is. It feels like it. I got a whole chapter on failure. I think it's a really important chapter, actually. I, 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 I've been giving some talks about how everyone has. I gave a couple of keynote talks about how everyone has what it takes. And I really kind of told some of the stories from that chapter about my dad in particular, who mm -hmm. uh, went broke and, you know, tried to be a salesman was really not a good salesman. It really wasn't what he was meant to do. You know, and we had this moment where he was, I was 12 and I was in the car with him and he just got in this apartment at this, basically a tenement house. And this is a guy who'd gone to Harvard Divinity School, had been an Eagle Scout and here he was flat freaking broke, just right. broke. So he starts weeping in the car and, and it occurred to me that he was crying. He had a dream and the dream was to thrive. The dream wasn't necessarily to be a, I mean, his dream was to be a salesman, but his dream was to thrive. His dream was to have a career where he could flourish and he could enjoy the work and make money and all the all of which is perfectly fine. That was the dream, right. to have some success in the world. 
salesman was an idea he had about how that dream would be realized. Just because the idea doesn't re doesn't bring the dream about doesn't mean that you have failed to realize that dream. It just wasn't the right idea. And writers go, it's an interesting thing, but every time as a writer, you reach the end of a sentence and you delete that you realize, no, that sentence doesn't belong in my story. Right. There's a little bit of like, I had a dream for that sentence <laughs> and it was going to contribute to my story <laughs> and it was going to help, but it was just an idea I had. You know, I had an idea about being a writer that I'd be a fiction writer. Like that was my, I wanted to, a dream of being a writer. That was a legitimate dream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the big ways I communicate with the world. Well, my, I, my idea was I'll be a fiction writer. It was hard for me to let that go. But it wasn't mean I failed to be a writer. It just meant the idea of how that I had about how to realize it was the wrong idea. And so I began to change and see other ways that I could write that were better fit for me. But an idea is just is your attempt to realize the dream. But the dream yeah. doesn't die just because that idea isn't and I and a submission to one zoo is an idea. Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll be the right idea, but the dream itself doesn't die just because that idea doesn't work. And sometimes it's not even zookeeper. You're like, well, I thought it was zookeeper, but it's something, you know, it's some other expression that you're looking for. It, it, it's, we think we know, we can feel in us what we want it to be, what we want to feel like when we're doing it. But sometimes our idea for how that will, that feeling will come about is not correct we have to discover what the real thing is so that's why th there's no failure there's just and i it's just the ideas get you closer and closer and closer but just because an idea doesn't work doesn't mean you failed you've just okay not that but the dream is still alive let me try something else does I, that make sense the, absolutely i love what you just said there it's i think that's what's true i wanted to be a animal trainer since i was five like i pointed to the dolphin a, a dolphin show and you know pointed to my mom's like mom that's what i want to do when i grew up and all right um so that was my dream and my first attempt like i seven times i, I tried out for the <laughs> same job seven wow. times wow. <laughs> i was very very persistent but yet my dream was always marine mammals and then Seven, eight years later, I was like, what about land animals? And I, I just, you know, it, it was more of a whim and whoosh, you know, there I go. Wow. And I found a really happy place in Seattle. And that's, you know, where where I, I, I do often refer to the Space Needle as the mothership. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> it was one of those, one of those things that like, yeah, I mean, Marine mammals were my first, that was my ultimate, that was my dream. And I did it, but then I did other things too. And that's, and it, I don't think that that means I failed at the, at my dream. No, you were just trying to find was, the way it would yeah. best realize, just trying to find the way it best realize. Um, so, yeah. So, and then even when I was getting back into the field, so I took about an eight year break, you know, really working on. Uh, my program and my books. And then I came to realize that like, you know, I think I could be a better service to the zookeepers if I was actually one of them and not one of the people that used to be them. And right, right. I like also, again, you generally, you have 
a really great way. These are these could be all standalone essays, but they do yeah. they do form really well together. So uh, great job. Thank They're, you. But I like that again. You always circle back to um, everyone has what it takes. That that big thing. So here I am. We're we're in getting in the mood and. It's that, again, that common humanity, finding that empathy that, oh, Bill doesn't like, isn't in the mood when he writes either. <laughs> I'm not, not when I start. <laughs> no, nope, not when I start. Um, but, but you do talk about flow. and We can talk about that in a little bit. But then you, you talk about the paragraph that really spoke to me. Took me many years to understand why it often begins this way for me and for many other people as well. The fact, in fact, the more I came to understand about this first moment, the sitting in the chair every morning and feeling like writing happens somewhere miles away from me, the more I understand that this moment of temporary emptiness is what frightens so many beginning authors away from pursuing writing as deeply as they would like. Yeah. It does. It scares me. Yeah. Like, why, why, why is there nothing there? there I, yeah. I've got the idea, but there's nothing there. After all, if everyone indeed has what it takes, if everyone has a natural curiosity and is naturally connected to the very source of all inspiration and ideas they'll ever need, then why then do we so often sit and feel like we have no ideas, no inspiration, no interest in the thing that we were very interested in yesterday? That's right. That's and right. If I sometimes complain, I've got nothing, then I certainly don't have what it takes. You have to have right. something if you're going to have what it takes. That's and... right. That's right. I forgot Thank you. that. Oh, you're words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny because really, like, here's the thing. Feeling like you have nothing is one thing. Or not, or recognizing like, okay, I am not connected. I'm not where I need to be to write. Like I know that. But it doesn't mean anything. It just means you're just not in that frame of mind yet. But it's so easy to think it means something because it feels like instant failure. And by the way, trying to write when you're not in that frame of mind is, well, it's kind of pain. It's emotionally painful because you feel like a failure with every sentence because you know it's not inspired. You know it's not true. You know you're not in the flow. You're kind of mm -hmm. forcing it out. Whereas once you start getting in the mood, once you're in that relaxed, creative frame of mind, now it comes much easier. And now that... And now you can actually, if I'm not in the right frame of mind, all my craft, and I have plenty of it, is of no use to me. It doesn't help me. I have to be in that curious, open, surprised, inspired frame of mind. And that's when the that's when the writing really starts. And I know the difference. I know when I'm not in that. I know when my attention is elsewhere. I can tell the difference. We all can. Yeah. And, but and and it's but I think it's easy to believe, especially if you're a beginning writer, I don't have it. I'm not good enough. I can't. And here's the thing. On some level, interestingly, PJ, you're right. At that moment, you can't. Like You can't at that moment do it. And if you really want to go even deeper, we can put ourselves in a frame of mind that invites in the other thing that helps us do it. And so that's very helpful to remember that your job is to just get into the frame, like relax, stop focusing on the world outside your door, get out of your own way and let the ideas in, let the, you know, one little sentence at a time, but let them in. And if you can remember that, that it's your job to get in the frame of mind, not to finish it or do good words or be a good writer or get the story straight, but just get into the right frame of mind that allows you to 
do all that, it gets way easier. It's like remembering what your job actually is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask like some, some ideas. You gave me some great ideas. Like how, how do you get into the flow? Uh, especially for me, for writing, I, I do have that, that mentality from, I, I think Stephen King is the main person that, that I learned this from on writing. You know, he has a muse. It's that basement guy down below that he has to show up. Absolutely. It's he, he has to show he, up and you have to keep yeah. showing up for the muse to, you know, for that flow state to to help to help that flow state is like you gotta show up. And then the muse is like, oh, it's nine o'clock. Yeah. Go. Um, you know, it's true. So I agree with Stephen King and and yes. And the, it's so there's the old there's an old uh, trope in writing, which is get your butt in the seat, which is true. You do have to put your butt in the seat. And that's part of showing up. As I say, you can't put a coin in a slot and punch a button like you get a soda can. Their inspiration doesn't come that way. You show up, but be interested and be curious and be open to it and be waiting for it. And it's a big difference. It's a big difference knowing what you're waiting for. You're not just trying to be a good writer, but you're wanting inspiration. You're not trying to be a yes. smart writer, but you're waiting for the thing that will get your juices going, that will allow you to write the way you want to write. So improving again let's go full circle back to zookeeping like again you're not just born a good writer you're not born a good you're not born a good anything i don't I mean, think so i don't i don't you think have to you're... learn something my husband is an amazing art i mean and um this he did i this, see i see all yeah, these he lovely did those paintings um he's an amazing amazing artist he was not born that way he you know he works he works really hard. Same thing with anything that you want to do. And uh, especially again, writing, talking about a little bit about the kindness and uh, mm. um, we could go into this whole chapter, but what I really liked about, about this is that, you know, uh, great books. And then I, how I interpret this is great books, great keepers, great everything great everyone starts with you it starts with you know kindness you know you you share some outwardly kindness oh right yeah right right you know, yeah you, you share you shared okay side side tangent you were a server for 20 years you said yeah yeah i honest to god think every single person on the planet should be a server <laughs> or retail at, yeah, at right. least yeah for like a year to yeah. truly have some like empathy again even yeah. like millionaires and everyone like this is a requirement of every person that you have to be a retail it, and boy, you server. learn politeness boy you learn <laughs> you kindness you, or, or or it just hardens your heart completely but it should learn some you should learn some empathy and i and i i definitely did i definitely did um, but but as a server you realize that when you were nice to the customers and you know and when they were nice to you, it was easier to be nice to them. Like it became this like vision, you know, like a positive feedback loop. That's like right. They're nice, and then you're nice, and then they're nicer, and then you're That's nicer. Right. And yeah, then, yeah. So you shared that, and then you also shared like again, um, the unexpected. I call it reinforcement for being nice. Like you know, you got the three extra bagels just because right. you made that really small gesture. That's right. Somebody 
because you had common humanity. You're like, I get it. I know what you're dude. And he gave you some free bagels. And that's what I call in the animal training world, we'd call that reinforcement. You are now more likely to be kind and be patient when other people are yeah. being less than kind or less than patient. But, but I like this whole aspect. Like I, you know, I could not give to my readers, what I did not already have myself. That's right. That's right. And yeah. this is my big stick anyways. I literally, and this might be like just a different way of saying it, but I've, I've been for years now, I've been like harping on, you can't take care of the animals, my friends, until you start taking care of yourself. That's right. Animal, great animal care starts with self-care. And that, I think that's, I think that's what you're getting at. For, it's, 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 it's similar. Yeah. Because it's similar. really the same thing, because if you're giving a story, it comes to you first. Yes. It comes to you first and then you translate it out. And so if you, whatever you're giving to the reader is something you've, you, you, you have to say, because you, in order to give something, you have to have it. And so you have to say, well, I want to give something that I would want to have. So, cause you're bringing it into yourself first as a story and then and sending it out. And so you have to be kind to yourself in that way, in terms of, in terms of inviting in the kind of story that you would want to share and you know you want to share it because you have to bring it into yourself first mm -hmm. and, yeah and again going back to the flow how do you get in the flow you get that story that resonates with you yeah that also stems back to what um what my coaches again life coaches have even said like you know they the my most trusted people that i've that i've talked to have said like you know i was client number one i was at, yes yes like if you yeah. are not doing this yourself then you're not going to be able to help anybody else and uh that's right and, and i yeah and it shows with shows with your books too oh um, thank you well and, here's a here's a story so this is a true story so mm, my book the book i wrote before fearless writing was a collection of little essays called write within yourself and so i was writing for a time five essays a week i would write one a day for this wow. magazine. Yeah, I know. Right. Well, it was the first time I really let myself write about creativity. And so I had a lot I wanted to explore. Like I just, it was a untapped vein. And once I tapped in, boom. Right. So that was great. But, but it was all, they were all sort of uplifting. And I was really saying the same thing every time, which is like, it's okay. You can do it. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. You know, I just kept saying over and over and over one way or another, actually, in retrospect, <laughs> it was funny. And you know, it's funny because they were advice pieces sort of about writing. And I was uh -huh. like, man, I don't think I am following my own advice when I, but I really like writing. I know it's true. It be, I, I know it's true. And then I get up and I do the exact opposite. But what was weird is I kept writing it every day. And eventually the, the, I, it started the, the, what I was writing about started creeping out into my actual life. And more mm -hmm. and more, I started resembling the guy who was writing the pieces. Oh, good. Spread out. I do hear that. Oh, again, writing my memoir. As a zookeeper, I, I'm talking about my past relationships with animals, but my little twist that really, really sparked that joy to, to write, really inspired me to write it in the first place was I used those lessons from the animals to help improve my life. That's good. That's and, good. Um, with my fitness, my health, my self-care. But I feel the same way as you. I'll be writing a story. I'm like, I haven't been doing that lately. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. I would say that when I'm what I'm doing is describing the way 
the the path I'm on and the thing I'm learning, just because I haven't mastered it completely, doesn't mean this isn't like being in the flow. Am I always in the flow? No. Do I like fearless writing is all about not caring what people think mm -hmm. about your stuff. Do I still think about every yes, it comes into my mind, but I have learned to practice not doing it. And and do I and no one is broken is about not comparing myself. Mm -hmm. Well, just yesterday I was like, I feel like crap. Why? Oh, I just compared myself to some, I was comparing myself to this guy. Doesn't mean I don't do it, but I'm more conscious of it right. and I stopped doing it faster. So your job isn't to be perfect, but your job is to know what it is you're practicing, know what it is you're practicing, and then you can get better at it much faster. One last thing that really spoke to me because it gave me goosebumps when I read it. Um, or actually when I was listening to it was talking about like our, our heroes and comparing ourselves to others. And uh, yeah. you have a story with your son, Jack, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. I'm going to cut some, sure. of the, we can talk a little bit more about what you're talking about here. One afternoon, Jack and I had gone to the local mall to buy him a book and have some ice cream. We were sitting in the food court when I noticed a man in a wheelchair being pushed about by a caregiver. So he was quadriplegic and um, made this notion that the man's head drooped to one side, his mouth hung open slightly, and his hand gestured erratically. I felt a surge of pity and fear. I thought how glad I was that I was neither of these men. I'm glad I didn't have to care for someone with those type of needs. Uh, all my attention would be on him. And I also thought how glad I was I wasn't the man in the wheelchair, that I had the use of all my limbs, that I could speak and run and jump and make love. It made me sad to think this way. So I looked away, looked at the crowded food court and everyone eating their lunch or drinking their coffee and having their conversations. It occurred to me then that I didn't want to be any of those people either, all who could walk, talk, and jump and run. I didn't want to be them and I didn't want to be James Joyce or Anthony Burgess or Paul McCartney. I wanted to be me. I love, I love that part. Yeah. But then you, you, you really give me the goosebumps on the next page. Uh, you say, why shouldn't that also be true for the man in the wheelchair? Why, why shouldn't he also just be thrilled to be him? Why shouldn't he want to be him and live his life, even though things were th there? There were things surely he wished were different about it. Either love this. Either every moment and every circumstance and every life has meaning, or no moment, no circumstance, and no life has meaning. There is no in between. I. It's so true. It's beautiful. It's. I mean, I know I wrote it, but it's still. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's beautiful. <laughs> breathtaking yeah <laughs> i i love it and it's so true and so and that means it, it means you so in other yes. words your life I, I i always believe like no one has lived what pj has lived seen what you've seen been where you've been lost what you've lost gained what you gained love it's never happened before it that you're it like it's it will never happen again yeah pj and so it, and so it matters. It matters as much as every single level of life and every single moment. And it's not up to me to decide that one life shouldn't be lived because of some limitation I see on it or that some life is better and more important. Every one of them. 
And either you, and on some level, we all know this. We all know we want to be us. We don't actually want to be someone else. We might think we want their money or their shirt <laughs> or their house or their contract. We don't actually want to be them. That Because to be them, that would mean you wouldn't have had any of the experiences you've had. Mm-hmm. Every great experience you've had, you wouldn't have had that. You wouldn't have your parents. You wouldn't have your friends. And you don't want to give any of that up. No. So this, you actually want to be you. You and, want to be you. Yeah. And it goes the other, the, the other way too. Like, you know, um, you also not thinking that you're better than anyone else. Because yeah, you they, know, yes, true. I once, I, I will sometimes say when I talk to writers' conference, I'll say the best practice for a writer is to walk through this conference and say, no one's better than me. No one's worse than me. No one's better than me. No one's worse than me. Because they are two sides of the same coin. This one's better than me. It's just the same as I'm better than that one. Mm-hmm. And it's very tricky balance to do because we're often comparing ourselves. And am I better? Am I worse? It's hard to imagine that you're not better than the guy panhandling. And you're not worse mm-hmm. than the person living at the top of the of the penthouse or whatever. However, you are the one who sold a million books or whatever. There's no actual difference. There's That's, no quantify. There's no difference in value. Yeah, there's just you, and I again just, just you. And you have you have meaning. Your life has meaning. There's you know, there's a purpose. Um, so I do. One of the reasons I liked having writers on here, and I do talk about writing, not just because I'm writing my book, but because I do think that there are so many people listening that have amazing stories and I really want them to share it. Now, again, ideally it would be, you know, yeah, write a book and I will help you or you and, or I'll send you to the resources that will do much better job at helping. But I, I want to see those stories out and I want people to see that, you know, I have something to offer. I have a unique story. I have a unique vision i do yeah. have as you mentioned i do have what it takes you do if you have it if you're if you're what you need when you have it it is your curiosity and your imagination mm-hmm. if you're interested you have what it takes interest is the driving force because the thing is you can't be a zookeeper unless you're interested in animals on a, on a level that is worthy of being around them all the time like i love animals but not enough to want to be around them all the time like, but you know it sounds but like it's not enough to, to to me to be so interested in them all the time in that way. I have my cats, I love them, but you know, but I'm really interested in other things, you know. Interest. And the thing is you can't force your interest. You can you you can either recognize and obey it or not, but it's sort of chosen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a level of like, oh, you know, I would say that interest is just when your attention goes on the thing, it just can stay there. There's no you know, it's not like if you're in school and let's say you don't love math, but you can do math, you kind of say, okay, attention, stay there, stay there, stay on the long division, let's do it. And it's okay, maybe you learn how to do it, maybe you don't. I was someone who could learn to do it, but that's different than just zingo. You the the, the story, like if I had to write a story, I didn't need someone to tell me right. to pay attention to it. My attention was right on it. So, and you, there is nothing more unique to you than your interest. Like that's you. Everyone get curious, follow it. Curiosity, follow it up. (laughs) Follow it, baby. It's just it's it's nothing better than getting curious and following it. 
again, as I mentioned, I could be here all day. Just such a, a really great, it's perfect for this month, folks. So that's right. Story. This is Nano Rimo again, National Novel Writing Month. Absolutely perfect for, and reading is a little bit part of, of the writing. So if you want to grab this book, it's also, um, there's an audio book. Yeah. Read by Bill. It's amazing. Thank <laughs> I listen you. to it a lot on my rides to and from work. You close it off by saying, so write the story you love. But again, folks, whatever this is that you love, you know, your your job, yourself, your family. Um, if you love it, then you have what it takes. Yeah. Period. It's true. See, I get teary just hearing that. And I wrote that damn thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true, though. If you love it, you have what it takes. That's really, yes. that's it. That's yep. it. And and I can't, yeah. I, I One of the big reasons why I was like, this book is not just for no great for writers absolutely perfect for writers please every writer pick it up but and if you want to learn more about me williamcanower.com that's my website yes. you can look me up there and contact me i'm always happy to hear from people i work with clients one-on-one -on -one too occasionally i am a writing i'm like a life coach for writers really is what i do i just help people with some stuff with craft some with just blocks whatever people want to deal with Oh. So look me up if you're interested, williamknauer.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I will definitely have links in the description down below. Thanks. And Thanks. Bill, I will be probably getting in touch with you soon. Okay. All right, my dear. <laughs>